Hello you, welcome back to Can You Tell Me A Story? The idea is very simple. In each episode, I have an organic, unscripted conversation with a complete stranger. Now, this episode is the most spontaneous one that you'll hear thus far. And oh my god, uh, the positivity in this one is overwhelming. You know, as I was editing it, I was smiling all the way through. It makes me so happy to have the chance to create this conversation and share it with you guys. Uh, so anyway, my stranger turned friend today is Marka. And if I had to describe her in three words, <laughs> this girl is high on life. Literally. You know, we talk about her encounter with depression and her suicide attempt that led her into a psych ward. Fun fact, you do not need a traumatic experience in your childhood to suffer from depression. And then we talked about Marka's experience with drug use and how it changed her interpretation of the world for the better. Uh, we also talk about her horrendous memories of her two years of being a high school teacher. It's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. Please, please listen till the end. I feel like the conversation reaches a high where we were just so incredibly grateful to be alive and life is good. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I know it sounds strange, but seriously, listen to the end. Uh, you won't regret it. <laughs> uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please, please leave a four or five star rating on iTunes and a nice comment. You know, it means a ton and it helps support the podcast. Also, follow me on Instagram. Can you tell me a story podcast? All right, that's it. Bye-bye. with me of course. Um, but yeah you can hear me okay uh sound quality is good enough and everything because i'm using um my headset with like a Dude, little you are a hundred times more professional than me <laughs> like for the listeners listening like you have like a giant beats headphone on you <laughs> i swear to god these headphones i think are like maybe four years old i got them for a christmas gift like way back when i was still living at home and i just used them ever since then like everybody's telling me oh no you gotta go with the like the sony it's like fuck it whatever <laughs> i'm glad that you're using it though but yeah uh, i can hear you loud and clear as well so okay, okay that's good. yeah i i was telling you just now like i'm using like a really cheap mic because I, I only did like one episode and I was like, oh, this is really fun. I actually might do this long term. And so I figured the audio quality matters. I think, I think it's really cool that you're starting your own podcast, you know, because it's like, like that's got to be a lot of fun, right? Yeah, it is. It is. And I mean, what better time, right? Than, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but Marco, welcome to Can You Tell Me a Story? Uh, this is the most spontaneous episode that I've done so far. Exciting. Because... I've actually, and this actually gave me an idea. It's like, I've never done one that's like on the spot in 30 minutes. I usually have to schedule it weeks ahead. So thank you for being super spontaneous as well. Are you usually like that? 
Um, I try to be, you know, okay. I, I feel like if I can just kind of like just jump right into it, I, I feel of like course. I've been in general very kind of, uh, I've been a very nervous person growing up. It, it's, it wasn't so much anxiety as it was like, oh, you got to do the right things. You got to mm. follow the right steps to be yeah. successful and you know it's just and, and I was always very good at school because it's very you know kind of structured you know somebody gives me like mm. a rubric to follow somebody gives me uh like you know this is what you need like to a do curriculum. to be successful yeah right. like okay yeah I can do that once I'm uh, like you know there is a very like rigid structural whatever I can do that I can knock it out of part easy peasy but now mm. I'm like I'm I'm 25, and I'm finding out that life is not nearly as rigid as I thought it was going to be growing up. And so yeah. at first, it was like a few years of like, I don't know what to do. What is my purpose in life? But now I'm just like, fuck it. Oh <laughs> I, my I, God, I, you know, I thought you were going to say, now I'm like, I got my shit set up. Like I got everything no, in order. No, I'm like starting to. I have decided that um, and back in December, I have decided that this year, 2020, like the year I was going to get my finances, you know, all together. I'm going to get on a budget. I'm going to like save money. Oh, I'm nice. Be you got your Excel spreadsheets exactly. up. Exactly. I got a million <laughs> spreadsheets. And then, you know, the pandemic happened and everything that I was like doing so well up to that point, just like kind of fell <laughs> by the wayside. Yeah. But, but, but it's, it's like, I'm starting to realize that like life is not nearly as rigid as it sometimes we like to think it is. And sometimes it's just about like, kind of like, you know, carving your own path through sometimes it's just about doing drugs and just being like whatever let's just like you know <laughs> i hope my mom doesn't hear this <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh, I'm, oh, I'm straight up straight up I, I i would like to talk about you know my drug use at least a little bit just because i think it is a big part of my story um yeah i mean if you're if open to it which you seem super yeah. like you are like an open book like okay for Yes. We have to, wait, Marka, can we please establish some kind of context for the listeners here? So what happened was it's now, it's, it's almost 3 p.m., right? So we spoke at 2 p.m. And we're like, uh, like I posted something on Reddit uh, in, in one of the subreddits. And then you were like, this sounds like a, like a, what was it? Like a hoot, right? Yeah. Let's do it. Um, and then you, you were so kind because usually I like to keep things open, like organic conversations, right? But then you were so nice. You like laid out all the points that you wanted to talk about in the conversation. <laughs> and wait, okay, so I'm 24, you're 25. So we're in the same, same uh, generation, right? Yes. And do you feel like now the keywords in our lives are like depression, anxiety, yeah. like, <laughs> like drugs? <laughs> No, but, but, but that's actually Therapy. absolutely true. It feels like everybody that I know nowadays who is in my age bracket, it, nobody doesn't have depression or anxiety in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not everybody is as bad, or not as bad, maybe that's not the right word. Not everybody feels the need to go, you know, to therapy, to, you know, get medication, you know, to go to a psych hospital like I did. But, but so all, it, it does feel like everybody nowadays has had some kind of brush with mental health. And the fact that we're having more conversations about this, I think is an excellent thing. Um, just the fact that people are just talking and Google and like, hey, I feel like X, does this mean I have depression? Does this mean I have anxiety? Does this mean, you know, maybe I have um, Asperger's or autism or anything like that? And that actually is a conversation I have with so many of my friends. They're like, actually, I've been thinking, 
if I should tell my therapist that I'm experiencing this, maybe I could be autistic. And sometimes, you know, it's like, no, you're just a little weird. It's not, you know, weirdness, you know, but, but it's a conversation to be had. And I think that's important. And I started um, battling depression probably when I was in college. I I, want to say it was maybe like 19 when it first started. And Mm. I just, I was a wreck in college. My entire first year, I didn't talk to a single person on campus. I was just in and out like a ghost, playing, you know, doing whatever on my laptop. And then I didn't talk to a single person. And then my sophomore year is when I finally was like, nope, I need to break out of the shell. I'm going to, you know, go talk to people. And I just forced myself to go up and kind of, you know, went in a great direction from there. You know, you know what's so fascinating is that I so I'm from Singapore and I came here for college. I'm in New York, by the way, and I don't even know where you I'm are. I'm in New York City. Too. I'm in New York City. Which I'm part? Queens. I'm oh, cool. Side. Cool. Okay, I'm in Manhattan. Oh wow, I'm so like we're, in, cl- uh, we're even closer than. than exactly. Wow. What, a, what, a, what a coincidence. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, so as I was saying, like I'm from Singapore and I moved here for college. And just that switch in, in total environmental experience in general also made me super afraid to talk to anyone in freshman year. I imagine. Yeah. And like, um, but obviously, I think we both share that same switch. Like, like it had to be a conscious decision yeah. to get out of your shell and That's, like talk to people, you right? You like force yourself to do it, right? Right. Like it's not as organic as like, do you remember, you know, in the freshman year when they did all those like, you know, icebreaker games and let's get to know everybody, you know, and those were fun, but that's, that's just kind of like, you know, you're, you're guided through it by, you know, right. whatever upperclassmen, <laughs> but unfortunately that didn't really work, you know, some people, mm-hmm. you know, broke off into friend groups during that, not everybody did. And for, I think for the two of us, it sounds like we really had to be like, nope, I- I'm going to decide to do this. I'm going to make a conscious choice mm-hmm. to go up to a person and be like, hello. I had to re-engineer the way that I talk to people just because, so I, I don't talk like this in Singapore. We have our own accent yeah. and I had to basically pick it up because people couldn't understand me in wow. my, what we call Singlish accent, which is like Singaporean English. And uh, I, yeah, it was just something that, but thank God, like I grew up watching a lot of American shows, like How I Met Your Mother or Friends. So it wasn't too difficult. But just like picking up the language of how Americans spoke, that yeah. was something that was a little bit challenging for me. But it also kind of goes to show you how I think social interactions are a lot more manufactured than we think they mm. are, aren't they? Oh, yeah. You know what was the weirdest thing was when you go to a cafe, it, it's probably like second nature to you because you were born here, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, it's like when you go to a cafe, that whole interaction of how are you? Fine, I'm good. That is something that is not normal. It's like in the Singapore. script you have to learn, right? Right. And I hate it. I hate small talk, Marka. You don't understand. But anyway, continue. So freshman year. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to skip ahead. Like college was <laughs> fine. I, I had a great time. Um, but, but it was, I think, you know, once I got into it, I had a really great time. Um, but I, it was actually when I was, sorry, I'm like blanking. (laughs) You said, you said 19, you had, you started feeling bouts of depression. Yeah. It's, it's more like when I was 19, I started realizing that I don't 
really have any enthusiasm for anything. You know, you hear people mm. talking about like, oh man, I had such a great time doing X, Y, Z, or man, I love X, Y, Z, I hate X, Y, Z. And I was like, I don't actually feel any feelings at all. At first I went through like a little phase where I thought it was like, oh, because I'm a Libra, because I'm an air sign. Air signs don't have feelings. That's like a water sign thing. Um, and and that, I kind of like use that as a justification. But it, it went on for quite a while before I realized, wait a second, I didn't enjoy pretty much anything. Everything that I liked in high school was kind of, I, I used to watch a lot of anime. I kind of stopped that. I used to play a lot of video games. Eh, not so much mm. anymore. Um, I, I had a boyfriend at the time. I dated a couple people. Uh, mm-hmm. Sex was like, that's mm, it, a thing you do because you do it. And it, just, it felt like yeah. my entire life just became, oh, this is, you just do these things because it's a script you're following. Yeah, or, or like a distraction almost. Yeah, like you're not mm. doing it because you actually want to. You're just kind of going through the motions of mm. day-to-day life in whatever way that is. And I kind of like lived, I think, at least two or three years like that. And steadily, steadily, it got worse and worse until it, I think the very first time I realized I actually had a problem was when and I'm going to get right into the darker chapters here, was Please. when I was just like thinking about suicide day in and day out. And for me, I, I would, I'm gonna, do you know those toys where it's like the, the monkey with the symbols, you know, and they just like, you know, yes. that like kids toy that's just like, <laughs> ah, and it's like the symbols. Wasn't that a cartoon? Yeah, like, like it's, it's a thing, right? I, I think yeah. But, but, but that's what it was like to me all the time. It was like literally like a monkey in my brain kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself. And I'd be like, I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry to be laughing at it, but the image is hilarious. <laughs> it is. And, but, but like, that's what it would be like. Honest to God, I'm not even exaggerating. I just, all day long, almost 24-7, no matter what I'd be doing, I'd just literally be hitting, kill yourself, kill yourself, in okay, but language. Let me ask you this, right? Is it because you were in a place where you were like really, really sad? Or was it just boredom and stagnation and I you're at that point where I absolutely no idea what it was like this, mm. my life is objectively fine I didn't have mm. any you know childhood trauma I didn't have like you know an alcoholic parent I, mm-hmm. I I didn't go through I don't think I mean you know all of us you know go through trials and tribulations but not there was no one thing that I could be like aha yes this is the event that gave mm. me depression it was just a it just it just kind of happened gradually and soon enough it was for every small event or even even like an inconvenience in my life it was like kill yourself i dropped my pencil gotta kill yourself i'm not gonna do that what are you doing you know and and i'd be like arguing with myself day in and day out oh you got a c on an essay instead of an a kill yourself Mm. and i'm like wait a second i'm not gonna do that and then my brain would be like "Mm, you should kill yourself though you burn your food kill yourself no do you you remember if you can even recall if you can even recall do you remember when was the time when you realized killing yourself was an option? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, it was when- Be- because okay, because I like I like in Singapore that was like never at least in my life it just wasn't something that you would consider. You know, like not talked about at all. It yeah, not really no. Although I'm pretty sure, like, like in high school, the, the closest experience that I had with it is, like, with a friend who was anorexic. 
and nobody knew about it but i was i think i was like the only person or one of the early people that saw her actually run to the bathroom and throw up oh no yeah so that that was like the closest thing but nothing outspoken about it i'm gonna be honest i had a completely different experience i feel like i've been i feel like i don't know if this is the norm but i've been death is very normalized to me and I, I grew up watching all sorts of like true crime, you know, CSI uh, procedurals and all of that. And, and I, my parents would always talk to me about death. And I think when I was in high school, I had in one year, four people in my high school committed suicide in one year. And I would hear about drug overdoses pretty often. I would hear about, you know, um, you know, even accidental death pretty often. I had like 5,000 kids in my high school. So, it was, you know, just statistically likely that we would have some mm-hmm. deaths, you know, out of 5,000 kids in one year. So it was it was very normal to me. And as a result, I feel like it wasn't a big deal to me. It's like, yes, mm. you know, a suicide is a tragedy. It's terrible. But it's also something that just happens. So mm. for that reason, it wasn't that it was it didn't even become a red flag to me that I was thinking about suicide because it was like, oh, yeah, of course, it's an option. It's not a great option, but mm. it's an option. If, mm-hmm. And I think it's when you start, that's when it's really starts to become a problem. When you see suicide as, yes, this actually is a possible way out of my problems, whatever they may be, and you're actually seriously considering it as a possibility, as an option, you like, yeah, I could do this or I could kill myself. And they're both mm. like equal weights. That's when, that's kind of like a danger zone almost. And yeah that's when i'm sorry my voice is like cracking a little bit right now but okay. but um but yes i um it was actually the one thing that i think um no it was actually when i was in my second ever job i was i think 22 years old and i was working in an office job in long island and i liked my job it was fine you know you have your crazy office politics but it was overall mm. fine but it was for a few months in there that i was really starting to get that monkey in my head just like louder and louder and louder yeah. and sometimes it would feel like it would be like like alarm klaxons and bullhorns just be like yourself, just louder mm. and louder and sometimes i'd be able to laugh it off like i'm not going to kill myself just because i missed a train don't be ridiculous brain but other times it's like oof, it, 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 you know repetition is important right the fact that it's repeating so much yeah. i really should and i did um in april a few years ago is when i actually had my first attempt Hell, baby. So um, I'm not, I'm not going to get into the details of that, but I, I was mm. checked into a hospital in Long Island and went to the emergency room. I, I was, you know, I was fine physically after a little bit. I didn't, I wasn't that far ahead in it, I guess. Can but, I ask you a question? Yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'm curious, like before you, because obviously like there's a huge lead up to your attempt, right? Yeah. Um, was there anyone that you were talking to? Yes. Um, my boyfriend at the time, I'm no longer with him. We broke up like mm. on good terms, you know, but my boyfriend at the time, I did try telling him about this. I don't really remember what happened. The thing about depression is it also makes your memory really, really bad. <laughs> so I, for, for those like three years or so where I was in the worst of my depression, I cannot remember mm. anything at all. The only times I can actually physically remember something is if I look through those like Facebook memories or whatever and be like this time five years ago you did this and I was like damn yeah. I completely forgot that happened I, it's yeah. just the entire time you're in this 
fog. Yeah, it's like a defense mechanism, kind of. Okay. You're just you're just living life, but you're not really in the moment. You're not actually experiencing it. So I mm. went to the hospital, and after a few hours in the emergency room, they were like, "Okay, we're going to check you into the St. Patrick ward of that same hospital." And mm. I had to give up everything on my person. I think the only thing they let me keep was like like one of those little like hair ties that I kept around my wrist. I'm like, that's it. But like my uh -huh. shoes, my underwear, my phone, my keys, my everything. They, they let me like write down a few phone numbers of, of people that I wanted to contact. And of course I wrote mm. down like my parents, my boss at the time, uh, my boyfriend, and just a couple other people. But like I had zero of my possessions, not even my clothes. And they, they gave Why me, did they take away your clothes? Why is that a thing? It, it's a thing. Like everybody is basically given the same like hospital uniform to wear. But they also okay. told me that um, they have to store my clothes for, I think, four days in, like, a like a, a freezer, basically, so that in case I come in with, like, bed, bu bed bugs or lice or anything, it'll, like, kill the bed bugs or lice because they don't want to mm. bring in the hospital. So, yeah, every one yeah. of us had the same little, you know, hospital paper gown. Mm -hmm. We had, like, you know, pants and a shirt and, like, hospital underwear. And that was all mm -hmm. fine. And I, I was a mess. The, the first day, I, I didn't even call my parents until probably, I, I got checked in early in the morning um, into the emergency room, probably something like, you know, 8 or 9 a.m. I didn't even call my parents until like 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. until I was basically already supposed to be home. My mother, mm. of course, you know, freaked out. She's like, what do you mean? You're in the hospital? And I was like, sorry, you know, <laughs> not a big deal. That kind of thing. And I remember... <laughs> Oh my god, that's so frustrating. The fact that you have to, even at your lowest, you have to trivialize the yeah, whole situation. I, I have to. Just, you know, yeah. like, like, you can't, I, I, I can't do that to my mom, right? Be yeah. like, hey mom, sorry, I tried to kill myself. I'm in the hospital. No, I was like, I'm, I'm in the hospital. I'm fine, though. What do you mean, yeah. my hospital? Uh, this one, here's the address. Mm -hmm. Why? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Mm -mm. You know. But um, the hospital itself, it, it was uh, straight up, it was a really nice place. I, I liked it, not at first. Um, it was a situation where you were paired with a roommate that was the, the same sex and gender as you. And there were basically like two rooms, two beds in a room. I met my roommate. She was this woman named Lisa. I think she had to be like in her late 30s. Mm. And at first she was asleep, also in like the uniform. And I just had this like tiny little twin bed. And I, the, the first day I was there, I just remember crying, like nonstop crying. Like, mm. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe that happened. You know, anything. And it wasn't until the next morning that I actually started meeting some of the other residents. And, mm. I, okay, so you know how anytime they're talking about depression, they're talking about suicide, there's that message of, it gets better. You know, don't give up. It gets better. This is, you know, a, a t permanent solution to a temporary problem. That mm. is not what I was thinking at when I went into that psych hospital, almost everybody there was much older than I was. I was, I think, 22. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like 21 or 22. And I was the second oldest person there. There was one person that uh, was also there for a suicide attempt. And I think she was like 18. And she was only there for a few wow. days before she got discharged. Good for her. But everybody there was, you know, in their late 30s. There were so many people there in their 60s, 70s, a couple people in their 80s. And for the first couple of days I was there, I was like, what do you mean it gets better? Look at all these people. They're in a fucking psych hospital. 
at their age and, and, and what do you mean it gets better? It doesn't get better. If, if, if I survive this and that's going to be me in another 30 years, that's going to be me in another 40 years. What do you mean it gets better? That's bullshit. And I was, mm-hmm. until I started talking to people and I, the actual, you know, therapy, the, the group therapy, um, all of that, you know, that was all well and fine. But I think the best part about, best part <laughs> of how being in a psych hospital was actually talking to the other residents. My roommate at the time, um, like I said, her name was Lisa. The reason mm. she was in there, she, she was considered a, a frequent flyer. That's what they called themselves. If they would <laughs> you come. You mean like in and out? Yeah. Like they would come back to the same hospital frequently for, you know, for, for their mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they all kind of knew each other, you know, and, and kind of formed their own little like cliques almost in there, which was very mm-hmm. funny to me. But anyways, Lisa, she was there because she, um, she had an anxiety disorder and she was self-medicating with cocaine, I think, but she was mm-hmm. taking so much cocaine that it caused a brain bleed in her. So she not only had still the, you know, the drug addiction and anxiety to worry about but she also had you know like you know some physical health issues so Mm. she said she told me that when she was in there with me this was her fourth time in in i think three months and she would just be in for a couple weeks leave she thinks she's fine she goes back to her old habits so this time they're like now we're gonna keep you here for a month or longer and she's Mm. like it's fine and i'm like that's terrible your life sucks what the fuck you know Mm -hmm. no wonder you're in here no wonder people are trying to kill themselves their life sucks does I, I have a question does uh, do people who suffer from like the people who are suicidal as well as have drug abuse problems does going to the psychi- psychiatric hospital help with both of those problems everybody's or is just... in the same ward everybody's in the same like little dormitory style section okay. it's everybody's all together um okay you know, there's like group therapy, but there's also one-on-one therapy, and everybody mm. has their own treatment plans. But we're all like in the same space. It's kind of like um, we're all on the same floor of a high school, and then you mm-hmm. have like a little like cafeteria and day area section. You have like a couple of rooms that are just for, you know, like art therapy and things like that. Um, mm. And you have, of course, the little dorms, and we all have, you know, our own bathrooms. But because I was on a, a suicide watch for the first um, three or four days that I was there, I literally could not be left alone. There was somebody within, I think, 10 feet of me the whole time. Mm. And, you know, because they didn't want me to you know, do anything to myself. And was that other, scary? No, it was annoying because that means <laughs> even at night when I'm trying to sleep, the door oh. is open and they have to be watching me at night. And, and like they're professionals, obviously, you know, like, but it's mm. annoying. You basically have somebody shadowing you. Yeah, like you, you have no privacy. Exactly. Even mm. when you're in the bathroom, it's, it's not a door. It's like a little curtain that like if you're showering oh, wow. or you're peeing or whatever. It's just like a little mm. like paper curtain. And if you're in there too long, they'll be like, are you okay? Do you need help? And I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. But but anyway, so Lisa introduced me to some of the other residents once I got kind of calmed down. And there was this guy, um, his name was, I think, Brian. And mm. he was in there. He, he was a long-term state. He's been in the psych ward for years. And he says- he How was, old? He was in his 60s. Okay. And, and so, so I was looking at him like, what the fuck? Like, he's in his 60s. He's still here. He's not leaving anytime soon. No, I don't want to be like that when I'm mm. 60s you know 
maybe I'm doing the right thing by taking the quote unquote easy way out by attempting suicide just so I don't have to, you know, go through worse things. He was in there for, I don't know exactly what his diagnosis was, I don't think I ever asked, but he, he told me that he had very strong delusions. He thought that he was, he sometimes thought he was the devil and that he needed to hurt people and because he didn't actually want to, but his delusions would be so strong when he had that, he would have like like a medication that would, not like a tranquilizer, but something to like put him to sleep and he'd just lock himself in his room and just be there for like the rest of the day. But when he's not doing that, when he feels, you know, fine, he, he, he walks around the ward, just like walking and talking, and he's like, yeah, come on over, let's walk and talk. But of course, the side effect of his medication was that he, he got a little spacey sometimes, so he would introduce himself to me twice a day, and be like, hi, I'm Brian, what's your name? And I was like, it's Marco, we met each other before. And he's like, oh, sorry, you're really pretty though. And I'm like, thanks. Like he was very, no, he was a very sweet guy. And So he complimented you twice a day. Pretty much. And everybody, he would introduce himself to everybody. He's like, you know, we'd be sitting for, for breakfast or lunch or something. And he'd be like, hi, welcome. Are you guys mm-hmm. new here? My name is Brian. They're like, yeah, we know you, Brian. It's cool. <laughs> But like, it, it was very sweet. And, and even mm. though he admitted to me that he was afraid of his own delusions, he was afraid of what might happen if he didn't have care, if he didn't have his medication, if anything like that. And so as a, he, he was actually really glad to be here. And the longer I spent, I, I spent I think a week and a half in the ward entirely. And everybody that I met, even the people who I was like, why, why would you yourself through this wants to they want help oh and my cat is walking <laughs> across the screen your cat is so cute he's very fat is it a rescue yes he's my oh, wonderful little fat boy this is hudson <laughs> is he old no he's three years old so he's a baby oh, okay he's just a big fat baby <laughs> <laughs> You can edit that out, right? <laughs> you have, you have some, no, if you think for a second I'm editing it, no way. <laughs> but look, you have animal therapy in the house I now. Did, but yes. No, yeah, I, so I, back I to Brian, yeah. I, I, he was, he was just such a fun guy. And mm. the more people I met, the more it seems like everybody had their own reasons for being there. And everybody was there voluntarily. You have this like mm. stereotype of people in psych hospitals, like like in one pool of the cuckoo's nest, where they're like, "No, nah, fuck that. It's just the establishment trying to get me. We gotta break out. Fuck this." And yeah. you know, being belligerent with you know nurses, being um, anything. But but that was not my experience at all. Everybody there, whether they were in there for a substance abuse issue, whether they were in there, there was another guy named George, and he he was I think probably late forties. Um, mm. And again, looking at him, I'm like, why? No, he admitted to me that he was a victim of childhood sexual abuse and he had a complex PTSD as a result of it. And he attempted to medicate with alcohol just to you know, try to help him. And as a result, he, he not only had an alcohol dependency, but he also was just a mess. He didn't really know how to take care of himself. He would, like, he would be like, you, you hear about those drunk alcohols and lying in the gutters. He's like, that's me. And I was like, that's terrible. But I'm so glad that I'm here in this hospital because I'm getting the help that I need. And mm. he would also, you know, come in and out. And 
this guy George was great because we had a we had a TV in like like a little day room, but if you actually wanted to like control the remote and decide what to watch, you had to it's like an appointment system. So you're like, okay, seven to eight o'clock, you get it. Eight to nine, oh, you get it. That kind of thing. I thought you had to fight over it. No, <laughs> we live in a society, but but we you have to book it in advance basically. So Wednesday night, I was really into RuPaul's Drag Race at the time. I still love RuPaul's Drag Race. And so for eight to nine, I booked the room for myself. At like 8.20, he comes in and he's like, hey, Marco, what are you watching? I'm like, I'm watching RuPaul's Drag Race. And he's like, mm -hmm. what the hell is RuPaul's Drag Race? Watch it with me. And by the end of it, he was also like, yes, queen, with <laughs> me. This is amazing. And basically, I turned him into a RuPaul's Drag Race fan. And that's mm -hmm. what we bonded over. But, it, it, but, but this is kind of the point that I'm trying to make that everybody even the people who I would like listen to their stories in group therapy. And I'm like, dude, your life sucks. This is terrible. Everybody had a reason for living. Everybody, oh. even with their issues, even with the things they've been through, everybody was like, damn, I want to keep living, but I need help to do it. Most people there were married. Some people had kids, some people, you know, everybody had a friend of some kind and everybody was mm. like, no, I'm here in the psych hospital because I know I need help. This, my, my delusions, my anxiety, that, that doesn't define me. That's why I need help. That's why I need medication. That's why I need treatment to get better so I can focus on what does matter. And at that point, I think that's when I had an epiphany. That's when I realized, wait a second, I don't want to kill myself because I'm some failure of a human being. I want mm. to kill myself because I'm mentally ill. My brain is not working right. Like straight up, the brain is an organ just like any other and it can get sick. And my brain, unfortunately, is very sick. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't have these problems. My brain was healthy. No one with a healthy brain, you know, thinks the way that I think. You know, it's mm. not treatable. It's not the end of my story. There, there were a few other people who also were in there for suicide attempts. You know what? They're, I'm out. If I had actually killed myself that day, there would have been so many amazing things I missed out on. And that's when we get into drugs. I'm sorry. Drugs are great. <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting there. <laughs> okay, no, wait. Hang on a second. Before we go into that, which I, I'm very excited for, so far what you've been talking about is mostly why they got admitted into the hospital and their treatment but then can we go into like the reasons why they want to live uh like just by talking to them do you find like oh family like it's always yeah. around people yes and, and definitely i think mm. that human connection is the strongest thing in the entire world there was mm. this one guy in his 80s easily and he looked like santa he had the white hair, he had the white beard, he had a big pot belly, and mm. he, he straight up looked like Santa. And <laughs> the very first day I met him, I hated him. He was such an asshole. He was like, he was like, he seemed to be very purposely like starting arguments with everybody. And mm. he also started saying these things like, I was Trump's right hand man. You know, you guys need to show me some respect. If not, I'm going to tell Trump on you, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we're like, dude, what? <laughs> and, and and like, but he was like very like purposely it seemed to me being antagonistic. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, this guy's a dick. And I, I told everybody, I was like, keep me the hell away from this guy. I don't want to deal with him. I got my own problems to deal with. Mm -hmm. And then my, my roommate, Lisa, 
He's like, actually, I know this guy. He can be very sweet. He's just very clearly off of his medication. And I'm like, no. Nobody who says this kind of shit, like, is, you know, sane. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, we're all in the psych hospital. None of us are sane. <laughs> what do you think? And then that same night that I met him, he came in in the morning. And that same night, we had, like, uh, my pay phones, basically. Because we didn't have to pay. But they were, like, you know, those, like, old-timey mm-hmm. phone booths. Um, yeah. And if you wanted to make a phone call to anybody, you just go in, whatever. But people can also make calls to those phone booths. So I was walking by that area, phone rang, nobody's around. All right, picked up, was like, hello. And it was a woman at the end of the line. And she's like, yes, hi, is George there? And I'm like, um, I can probably get him. It's his wife. Tell, tell him it's his wife. He'll come right over. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. all right, fine. Um, and then I found him and I'm like, hey, George, I think your wife is on the phone. And he's like, okay. Point is, like, even with all his mental health issues, his wife, they've been married for something like 40 years. She loved him. She would call him twice a day, morning and night, just so to incredible. chat about the day. Just to, you mm. know, she would send him like magazines to read while he was in there and he would share those mm. magazines with everybody. He would sometimes be like, hey, you look like you like National Geographic. Here you go. <laughs> he would, you know, try to steal like extra, you know, orange juices from the nurse's station, <laughs> like steal. Like, obviously, they let it happen and mm. give it to anybody who. You know, he thought he would want extra orange juice. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he ended up being a really sweet guy. And Lisa was right. He was only acting like that because, unfortunately, his brain was a little bit sick and kind of made him a bit of a dick. Mm. Just like my brain is a little bit of a dick to me if I'm not on antidepressants. And mm-hmm. and I think that's what made I bought. <laughs> I do feel like I'm watching an episode of National Geographic, <laughs> but like House Edition. <laughs> I love your husband. But oh, but, but I, wa- I was going to say, like, I, I read that there's this, there's this guy who, you know, w- was a normal health, had a normal healthy brain. And then he had like some kind of physical accident. And then that injured a part of his brain that activated, I, I don't know what the, the part of the brain is called, but he started having like pedophilic tendencies. So... Yeah, so, like, I do believe that a part, like, if you trigger the wrong part of the brain, it it could lead you to being suicidal and all that. And, like, after he had surgery, he was cured. Like, he never had that intense. Wow. So, you know, these things happen, and sometimes you need medication to reverse that. Yeah. So much of our general dialogue around mental health is, you know, the emotional side of it. And that's absolutely, you know, valid. But I think what this entire stay helped me realize was how much of it is physical. That nobody chooses to have depression. Nobody chooses to have anxiety. Nobody chooses to go through something that leaves them with PTSD. And so much of it does need to be treated like any other organ that is Mm -hmm. failing. You know, everybody, like, by the end of it, like, look at that old guy, George, and his wife. Like, they kind of treated it like, oh, it, he's ill, he needs to go to the hospital for mm-hmm. a week or so just to get better, and then he's out. Just like people who, you know, have to have their appendix taken out, just like people who, yeah. you know, have diabetes, just like people who have any other condition. Sometimes it flares up, and that has been revolutionary in the way that I thought about my own mental health. 
I mm -hmm. will probably, realistically speaking, I will probably be on antidepressants for the rest of my life. And I'm okay with that. I have a family history of diabetes. And when my grandma got diabetes when she was like in her 30s, something like that, yeah, she's had to take insulin you right. know, every single day. Okay, it's just the thing you do. That's yeah. what you do. Just yeah, like, like you need something to regulate yeah. a part of your brain. And it's, it's normal. At this yeah. point, it's like I can talk candidly about my depression because like, yeah, it was really bad there for a second, but now it's just a part of me. Now mm. I'm absolutely fine 98% of the time thanks to my medication. Yes, I have mm. bad days, but that's why I have medication. That's why I have a therapist that I trust. That's why I have a support network of the people who love me and the people who I love in turn that when I am having a bad day and I can say, hey, I, I need somebody to take care of me for a little bit. Oh, absolutely. We got your back. Just, and mm -hmm. I would, I'm happy to do the same for anybody else because like, that's what it ultimately is. It's about human connection and just, just helping each other in whatever way yeah. you can. And so, so I, I'm curious, like when, I mean, if and when you go through another one of a down cycle, for example, what is the best thing that you're, I don't know if like, if you have a partner at now or like your family, what can they do for you? Take care of me. Like I'm a baby who can't, who can't take care of myself. <laughs> and I mean it. I'm like, I don't have, when, when I am in an episode, as I call them, I can't cook. I, I barely have any energy to take care of myself. I'm not here mm -hmm. doing the laundry. I can't clean up after myself. Sometimes I oh. eat up too much. Sometimes I don't eat at all. Sometimes I need some help literally getting to and from work. And it's never more than like a couple of days at a time. Before those couple of days, if somebody can like treat me with, you know, baby gloves and like kind of be like, all right, come along, time to take a shower, go in the shower. That's okay. So it's, it's a lot of like the physical environment, like yeah. arranging your environment for yeah. you. Okay. Or like physical management of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and what about like like emotional management mm. is that something that you hope you can outsource although i know obviously outsource. like <laughs> yeah. like here you manage my brain for a little bit i'll no, take like, my vacation <laughs> like uh well do you have a therapist right now yes but i don't see her regularly i have graduated okay. from therapy as she put it and so i no longer need like weekly sessions right now it's so only okay. like when i I'm in a bad spot. I hit her up one or two hour session. She sends me on my way. I'm good to go. So usually like when you need to talk to someone, it's just friends yeah. or family. Okay. And then, and so like, do you have any expectation when you um, confide in them? I don't really expect them to fix my problems for me. Mm. Not because my problems are not, are, are purely internal, not external, you know, mm. My problems are that I can't regulate my own emotions sometimes. I can't take care of myself. Like, I don't feel any enthusiasm, any excitement, any love. I kind of like to shut down almost like zombies through the day. And you know what? That's a personal problem. So mm -hmm. sometimes just even talking about that, like, hey, I feel like a zombie. I feel like I'm in a mind fog. I feel like you can also, I feel like depression also makes you feel a little stupid, honestly. Mm, it it just kills surprised. off so many of your brain cells that you're like, um... Because you spend so much of your energy just telling your brain not to go crazy. Exactly. That you have exactly. no energy to do anything else. Exactly. Mm. Sleeping all day, sleeping all night, that kind of yeah. thing. But, but, but it's 
thankfully my issues don't really, you know, impede on anybody else's. However, I do know that for other, you know, um, mental health issues that they do tend to be a lot more external, at Mm. least in the way that, you know, behavior affects other people. For me, I just cocoon, I hibernate for a couple of days and hopefully that'll pass. But in that way, I think I have it good, Mm -hmm. question mark. Relatively. Uh, Relatively, All right, so let's get to the good part. Where does drugs come in? I want to know all about it. I'm super curious about that. <laughs> so I have never done hard drugs. I grew up in the air. Like, have you also grown up in the age of like, oh, drugs are bad. Dare, dare to be against drugs. And Drugs know. is banned in Singapore. Completely? Really? Well, people manage to sneak it in, oh, but it's, yeah. no, there's a harsh pen- penalty for it. Damn. <laughs> And guns, which is great. That's great. I, yeah. wish, I wish we had that. Mm. I wish we had guns banned over here, but that's a whole conversation. I'm not going to get yeah. into <laughs> But it was actually my um, my college boyfriend. We were together for maybe three years, and he's mm-hmm. the one who introduced me to wheat, the cannabis, marijuana, whatever you want to call it. And mm-hmm. the very few times that I tried to smoke it, I'm, I'm hacking up a lung. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> It's terrible. And I have, I've come to the conclusion that my throat and my lungs are just baby lungs and I'm not good at smoking anything ever. But I still mm. try, you know. And then when I discovered edibles, oh, mm. yeah. Incomplete, yeah. Like you, you, you bypass the shitty part of it. Yes, and you just get right to the good stuff. You know, some edibles taste terrible, but, but the thing is, it's like, having been in like this fog of depression where you're just following the script, just going through the motions, you're just doing things because you're told you need to do them. Actually trying edibles and especially trying marijuana edibles for the first time, it gets you, it makes your environment so much more enhanced. Everything, you you can't help but feel every single thing that you're currently feeling. Like whatever texture you happen to be sitting on and touching, you will feel every bump, you'll feel every groove, you'll feel every fiber. Mm. Visually, everything just seems a little bit more enhanced, a little bit more. What we usually did was like we would smoke or take edibles and then we would watch a movie. And watching a movie, I feel like I am so much more into this movie than I've ever been before in my life and like I can hang on every single word and I can I can see all the different themes and metaphors and I can see the way that different camera angles can change the whatever's mm-hmm. happening on the screen like every single word matters every single action matters and I can appreciate the finesse that which actors you know do their job and I can I can hear the music in the background that I totally would have like overlooked for and like all the way that, you know, they're, the cinematography of every single shot and the way that it conveys meaning and metaphors and themes, all of that, it's just like, wow, there's, there's this whole new world of cinema. You know, I used to go to a movie, is it funny? Cool, I like it, you know, yeah. it, you know, that's it. Like, I like it, but now it's like, wait a second, no, it feels like I'm in it. Not mm. literally, but like metaphorically, it feels like you're in it and you're experiencing it on a level that you've never been able to experience mm-hmm. it before and that compared to my day-to-day life of just not really paying attention to anything going through the motions 
going to point A to point B, looking for the weekend. That was so far removed from what my normal day was. And I, and I don't want to make it sound like I got instantly addicted to it or anything. No. Yeah. It, it, it kind of even took a few years, but like maybe, you know, once a month, once every couple months um, to watch a movie that I was like, wait a second. Maybe I can do it more. <laughs> <laughs> but, but nowadays, I, I would say I do edibles. Um, probably twice a week, usually still on the weekends. And, and if I take enough, kind of like last week throughout the whole day, but that entire day, you're in it. You're feeling everything. You, Does you, it calm you down? Yes. Sometimes okay. too much, you know, sometimes depending on whatever strain you take or whatever dosage mm-hmm. you take, sometimes you can be so calm you're going right to sleep. Yeah. Um, sometimes. Because <laughs> I know some people get like more, like, like I hear that uh, marijuana, like you said, heighten your senses, right? Mm-hmm. But then it's also, it heightens your senses from your baseline. So it's like if your baseline is you're anxious, then you're going to get more yes, anxious. That is true. And that's why you should know what you're getting into before you do anything, even mm. alcohol, you know, know what you're getting yeah. into. So now that you're taking it more, do you find that the effects are being dulled or it's no. the same? That is the, that is the case for some people, but that's where I think the mm. mentality comes into. Yeah, some people do develop a tolerance that the more they do it, the more they need yeah. to do it in order to get that same effect. But you know, when you start doing it only you know, once or twice a week and you're doing it too specifically enhance everything, now it, mm. it feels like... I joke with my boyfriend that I'm high on life all the time <laughs> because I decided to, I very consciously decided, okay, when, when I'm on drugs and I can feel that enhanced everything and I feel mm. the beauty in the world and I feel connected <laughs> to everything. But, Something but that tells doesn't me stop. that it's not just marijuana that you're taking. <laughs> that is what I do take for the most part. However, I have also done um, magic mushrooms and I've done LSD for the first time just a couple weeks ago. And that is fun. actually, yeah. oh, wow. This is a great time for this conversation. Oh, it's yeah. still fresh in your head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't overemphasize enough how connected everything is, right? It's like, mm. did you grow up in the city? Like in a city? Uh, yeah, 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 for four years. Yeah, and so like I, I'm like city slicker, born and raised, right? I was, I grew up right yeah. here in New York City. You know, I, the countryside scares me. You know, so many people are like, no, <laughs> I, I need to get away from it all. And I'm like, that's fucking terrifying. You don't know what's out there. Right. Yeah. And I think if you grow up in a city, there's almost like a, if you're like a middle class or like high class in the city, you kind of look down on country people, right? You're like, oh, look at these hillbillies and rednecks, right. you know, with their guns and their Jesus and their, yeah. you know, whatever. And, and, and I think definitely we have a tendency to, you know, look down on them a little bit. But it's, mm. it's when I was on LSD that I realized, wait, wait a second. I'm here in the middle of the woods tripping on acid realizing how connected everything is and you know what those people who live in the countryside whether it's old bubba down in the boonies who you know only has a truck and his guns and grows his own food and hates the government you know what you know what that guy wants love that guy wants security that guy wants you know happiness and sunshine and you know what that's what everybody wants Everybody wants whatever makes them happy and different things make different people happy. But 
it's not wrong to be happy. And so oh my God, that seems to be the conclusion that comes out of every trip that I've heard about so far. <laughs> like I personally good have never done it before because I'm terrified of what I can become. Um, but also I have parents who, <laughs> who are like, like, no drugs. Yeah. Okay, but anyway. Um, yeah, they, they always seem to come to the conclusion that's like, we're all the same. All, the baseline is like people want connection and love yeah. and that's what makes the world go around. Yeah, and, and like that may look different for other people, but like yeah. we're all so much more alike than we ever think we are. There's mm. a great quote by um, Marjane Satrapi, who is um, an Iranian uh, novelist and graphic mm. comics um, and graphic novel artist. And she says a quote something like, that's actually like something that I've learned even like I just started this this project but like I've spoken to maybe 10 15 people and it's so fascinating how you can always find something to in common so I'm just gonna read it out the world right. is not divided into countries the world is not divided between east and west you are American I am Iranian we don't know each other but we talk together and we understand each other perfectly the difference between you and your government is much bigger than the difference between you and me. And the difference between mm. me and my government is much bigger than the difference between me and you. And our governments are very much the same. And that Ooh. struck me because we are so much more alike on a human level than anybody ever thinks we are. And even though mm. we do have different, you know, battles that we're fighting, whether it's a battle of mental illness, whether it's a battle of a bad upbringing, whether it's a battle mm. of racism, xenophobia, whether it's a battle between, you know, what the religion you were raised as and the religion you're questioning. All of us have our own battles, but in the end, we're so much more similar than we could ever think we are. And mm. the one thing, you know, that LSD, you know, helped us realize was like all these things that we kind, all these categories that we kind of divide ourselves into, Oh, East versus West, Republican versus Democrat, um, City Slicker versus Country Bumpkin. Mm. Like, they're all artificial constructs. Yeah. Even even the differences between mentally ill and non-mentally ill, we have so much more in common than we think we do. And I think that's, you know, just kind of, you know, bring this in a 360 way. At the very mm. beginning, we we're talking about, you know, mental health being so much more, uh, a much bigger conversation in these past few years than they have been, you know, the past few decades. That's a good thing because we're realizing, you know, all those people who are like, oh my God, I'm so OCD or clearly have anxiety. Okay, well, maybe you do. Maybe anxiety and depression is just another facet of the human experience. It's not that and I'm... anything, I think it's normal, if not necessary, yeah. in the context that we're living in now. If you don't have anxiety, yes. there's something wrong with you. Exactly. Look at everything that's going on in the world. Look, look at, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Right. Like, yes, some, and like, again, another binary, people who don't believe in the pandemic versus people who, you know, are taking it very seriously. Yes, but we're all still so much more connected and we're all more on the same page than we ever think we are. Mm -hmm. And yeah, no wonder people are depressed living through this. No wonder people are anxious living through this. There's so much going on in the world and there's so much more in your face in the world with, you know, the advent of social yeah. media and news and, you know, the 24 seven news cycle. No wonder, no wonder we're all, a, I don't want to say we're all yeah. a little bit crazy, but it's like our environment is making us a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. And if we need, 
medication to get through that, if we need drugs to get through that, mm. okay, so we need that. We deserve to live the best and most comfortable life we can given the circumstances. And yeah, we're all and, just trying to survive. And I, I feel like, and tell me if you think the same, like people who are constantly bringing down the minorities, for example, like with quotes, right? Um, minority groups, whether it's like mental health, they don't, not that they don't, but like they don't realize that they can also be driven into the same situation in the right context. Yeah. They're just privileged or lucky enough to not have to go to down that path. Yeah. But that can turn on its head so quickly. Yeah, exactly. So. So yeah, so you said that you found the secret of happiness from acid. What the hell is that about? Because <laughs> I want to know the secret of happiness too. That's really it. Like the secret of happiness is really you get to choose what happiness means to you. So many people, you know, family is the key to their happiness. That like if mm. they don't have the people around them, their parents, their siblings, um, their children, if they don't have that, they're a broken shell of a person. For some people, happiness is in their career, in their ambition. For some people, it's about, you know, getting as much money as possible. For some people, it's about exploring and hiking and being in the wilderness. For some people, it's being an animal rescue. That's what it is for me. I'm mm. eventually going to have my own house with 20 different cats. That's fine. That's my goal in life. Um, but, and for some people, it's different types of creative arts maybe their magnum opus is you know the film that they make maybe it's about you know their artistic expression as an actor as a painter as a musician happiness is different for every single person but that doesn't mean it's any less happiness mm -hmm. whatever you can find whatever sparks joy in you to quote marie kondo mm -hmm. that's what you got to gravitate towards everything else is just white noise on the side yeah my job, I like my job, but it's not the source of happiness for me. I do it because it's a paycheck and it's a comfortable paycheck and I like people I work with and that's fine. But I'm gravitating towards whatever makes me happy. And you have to do that not only in like a big life scheme, yeah. but also on a day-to-day -day level. You have to listen to yourself. Be like, okay, what do I want right the second? I want to adjust my butt a little because I'm a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know what? I want some tea. So I'm going to go make myself some tea. Some tea would, you know, really strike happiness for me. I want to hug my cat. That's what I want in this moment. Okay. Well, what do you want right now in this moment? If mm -hmm. you can get anything you want, what would it be? And I'm actually asking you that question. Hmm. I'm okay. If you asked me this before 4th of July, I would tell you that I want to do a podcast. And now I'm super happy to say that this is exactly what I want to be doing at this. And I, t wait, did I tell you, or maybe I told somebody else that I wanted to do this for four years now, Marka. I have been procrastinating on this project for that long amount of time. But you're doing it. But I am doing it. It's just like looking back, it's so annoying that it took me so long. And I'm like kicking myself that it, I, it felt like a waste of time, you know, like all this fear and, and the surrounding like, well, people like this, how, do, how am I going to, you know, it's like a huge amount of dedication and commitment to it. But it really comes down to 
you have a laptop, you have Zoom, send, send it to somebody yeah. else and just get on the call and do it. Yeah. But yeah, this but, is but exactly you're doing it. You're, you're, that's exactly what it is. You're doing it for the simple joy of doing yeah. it. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if your goal is to be the next, you know, Freakonomics or anything like that and you're going to eventually <laughs> make money off of it. Maybe, maybe, who knows? But right now, it's just about the simple joy of doing it. Like, mm -hmm. as so long as you put the effort into making something and actually recording history as we know it, like right now, history is happening. Right oh, now, yeah. today is August 8th, 2020. We're both here in New York City mm -hmm. talking about life and things that right now we are creating a primary source of history. And that's amazing. Right now, we are creating history, even a very small way. It's so easy to create history when you really think about it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. like, and yeah, I mean, even if there's no corona, like think about how how lucky we are to be able to record a conversation, the first conversation and interaction that we have with yes. someone totally new. And seven years from now, I don't know if we're still going to be friends. I hope so. We can look back on this conversation and be like, holy shit. The day that started it all. <laughs> yeah exactly and like i wish i had that you know back in primary school or something but it's fine like it's a start of something new and it'll be so cool <laughs> the document this is what life is all about it's this yeah this right now even the fact that we're able to do this you know over so much time and right you know this is i think the main conclusion that, you know, drug use and, you know, a, a suicide attempt has led me to realize is that life is so much more magical than we mm -hmm. think it is. And you have mm -hmm. to look for the magic in every single moment. When you wake up and the sun is shining just right, you're going to be like, wow, it's a beautiful day. That is magic right there. Mm -hmm. When, you know, when my cat decides to walk up and I'm like, this wonderful 15 pound bag of fluff that lives with me and loves me that's magical the fact that we're able to have this relationship is absolutely magical the fact mm -hmm. that we're able to if we wanted to leave this city right now via bike via car via subway via whatever and just yeah. go elsewhere magical when mm -hmm. we're watching a show on netflix and to, to do a tv show like like how much effort does that have to make yeah. you have to probably put like you know hundreds and hundreds of hours of effort with, with right. writing like what even is like like how many stars have to be aligned for you i actually so i i like to dabble in some poetry okay it sounds so <laughs> no tell me all about it okay but here's the so i did i wrote i wrote a poem once right and it, i i don't remember what the title was probably like the stars were aligned or something like that and it goes it goes like this it's like talking about how how many stars has to be aligned for me to safely cross a road? Like, just think about, like, the stoplight has to be accurate. The car has to be, has to stop properly. The driver has to be sober and not, like, want to, you know, and the road has to be properly paved for you to go over it safely. And it's, like, talking about being able to watch a Netflix show, right? Like, the calm, it's like the culmination of how much technology that's in there to bring us to now. And it's amazing. Yeah. You it's, have to yeah. realize that and you have to be like, holy shit, this thing, we, let's not take it for granted. It's fucking awesome. Exactly. Life yeah. is good. Mm -hmm. Being alive is good. 
Well, let me ask. Okay, that is gonna be the title of my of this episode. <laughs> Being but alive is good. <laughs> it is really good. And well, let me ask you this: If you didn't have drugs, how would you live your life? Do you think it would be any less bright, or do you think you get to the same place but maybe just a little bit slower? I think that's actually a really good question. I just want to make sure you're not addicted to it. You no, know? <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm not. And, and, and just as a sidebar, yes, so many drugs do create a, a physical dependency. And yep. even now, there's you know among the stoner circles that are frequent, you know, there used to be you know. Oh, weed isn't addictive, you know, weed is very safe, you know, it's not nearly as dangerous. And a lot of people are starting to realize, actually, no, this still isn't something you should mess with. You should still know mm-hmm. what you're doing. And yeah, you shouldn't do it every day because it does kind of create this like sense of complacency with whatever you're doing. Yeah. But, and that's like a conversation that's starting to be had and I'm very glad it's starting to be had. But mm-hmm. yeah, I like think- you don't want it to strip you from reality. You want it to enhance reality exactly yes and and that is a fair um that is a fair thing to be concerned about Mm. for me um just to actually answer your question i feel like i would have realized what i realized now eventually but i feel like i did realize it a little bit faster because i think once you the way that the human lifespan kind of works. When you're a kid, everything seems to be much easier just because you don't have that much knowledge about the world yet. When you're a teenager, it's a very turbulent time physically, emotionally, mentally for you because you're you're growing way faster and you're you're you know knowing more about yourself and about the world every single year. And that's why you know between 13 and 14, that's even like just a huge jump. I think mm-hmm. in your mid 20s or early to mid 20s. That's when you're really starting to kind of get out of that teenager mentality and into the quote unquote real world where you're yes. actually learning about things like, you know, you know, taxes, about jobs, about paychecks, about, you know, the larger economic and, you know, capitalist everything, the way politics start to shape you. In your thirties is when most people, you know, start having a family and that's when your focus in life becomes about your family and making sure your kids are growing up safe you know, taking care of your parents, if you know. And and this is obviously a huge generalization. Mm -hmm. Statistically speaking, I think it's when you're in your 40s and 50s that you tend to be the least happy about life. That's when, in general... Was that something that you learned, like, in while you you were in the hospital? I think I just learned that at some other point. Um, But, but like your 40s and 50s tend to be very turbulent financially because that's when you may be making a lot of money but yes you have your family you have your aging parents to care for that's when you don't have a lot of you don't have a lot of like personal agency just because there's so many people that are dependent on you however um if we think of it as like a bell curve like when you're starting off you know kids teens young adults you know middle ages that's when everything starts going but when people start getting retired in, in their 60s, 70s, 80s, you do see statistically a huge uptick in happiness, in general mm. happiness. People are like, okay, yeah, now that I'm not working anymore, you know, I have more time, I can, you know, chase my hobbies, you know, my kids are all grown up, maybe I have some cute grandkids that I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, responsible for 100% of the 
time, but I can enjoy <laughs> just a good park. And yeah. it's, it's when people are retired. That's why so many people look forward to retirement, you know, traditionally, because that's when they can, they feel like they can really chase their dreams, go traveling, not worry about a paycheck as much and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And I feel like if, if it weren't for the drugs, yes, I would have reached that. They may not have reached that until I was 70. Mm -hmm. That when you realize, you know, what you really truly want out of life and what makes you happy. And I feel like, yes, drugs are a little bit of a shortcut, but that's also, yeah, we should still be happy when we're young, not necessarily when we're retired. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, what's that line that's like, time is the most expensive thing because the one thing you can't yes. get back. So, yeah. Yeah. So now that we're in our 20s, how comfortable are you with being in, I would say, the most uncertain times of our lives? Like the most uncertain decade. I'm enjoying the uncertainty. I love make, it. I am making a conscious choice to be like, yeah, things are crazy and I don't really know what I'm doing, but you know what? You have to force yourself to enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. And when you were when you were in college, mm -hmm. you you like you you also mentioned that you had you know for your freshman year you didn't know anything you didn't know shit you didn't do anything. But when you look at it back you know, back at it now, mm. do you kind of see how that year still is, is a part of your story? It's like an important chapter yeah. in your story? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So right yeah. now, we're in another a new chapter. We don't know how the book is going to end, but we can enjoy right. reading the book. Yeah, I, I always think, like, if I never hopped on that plane to come here, my life would be exactly the same i would be with the same friends um and that scares me a little bit that i would never because there's something about moving to a whole different country that lets you be brave enough to strip away whatever identity that you had in high school and like be able to create something new yeah. and it's not an opportunity that most people get you know i was yeah. super privileged to come here and um and like being able to reconstruct that yeah it's challenging but also you get to well, i hate the word reinvent but in a way you are you right yeah. yeah so i don't think i would have been brave enough to do that back in singapore so, so yeah that was that was a rough couple of years probably yeah but look how it changed you. you you had to go through that to become who you are and everything right. we're going to go through right now at 24 and 25, okay, yeah, maybe we won't realize how much it changes us, but you just got to enjoy the journey. You got to mm -hmm. enjoy being a work in progress. Yeah. And when you do, then you can be like, fuck it. Yeah, I made a mistake. Yeah, I screwed up this big thing at my job and my boss was mad at me. Okay, mm. I'll write about that in my memoir and I'll move on. Will you ever write a memoir? My God, I hope so. Wait, Either. are you a writer? Like a... Nah. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> I, w I was an English major. I actually have a master's in, um, in English Lit and mm. a master's in secondary education. I wanted to be a teacher for my entire life. Um, even back in elementary school, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I was like, first grade, my parents love telling the story. When I hit first grade, they always ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And at first I was like, a ballerina. 
understand, you know. But then I was like, I want to be a teacher. And they were like, why? I was like, I want to teach kindergarten because I already know everything about kindergarten. So that's why I need to teach these kindergartners. And, and like, literally my entire life, like, I, I was always going to be a high school teacher. And that's mm. what I went to school for. And when I became a teacher, and it's a horrible fucking job. Wow. Wow. I, I can go, I, I can even, I have repressed so many memories of my two years of teaching because it was just such a horrible job. I have been, I've been stabbed by my own students. I've had desks thrown at me. I've had books thrown at me. I had a student, um, I've had a student put hand sanitizer in my coffee mug to try to poison me at least twice. At least during twice. COVID? No, during, this was a few <laughs> years ago. This was a few years ago. But no, and, and in the building where I taught, we had like mold in the bathrooms. We had, I had a, one student that we had. Like, Wait, uh, I have a question. Yes. Is it public school? Yes. Oh, shit. I don't want to put that stereotype, but I have heard horrendous stuff about public schools here. I, I grew up in public school. I've been only going to public school. So I was like, yeah, I can handle it. Uh, yeah, and you went through all, what, 12 years? Yeah, and I was fine. I mean, I could be a little shit Unstead. sometimes. Yeah. And then I became a teacher, and I had a student even, we had like like a little like wooden book, like library bookshelf, whatever. He took mm. the wooden plank off of the bookshelf, swung it at my head. Um, and, and this was a kid, they were 12 years old, so middle school, of course, is a whole nother thing. Everybody's a little shit in middle school, but that was especially yeah. bad. Um, but anyways... I'm not, I'm not going to get too much into it. I kind of did, but teaching is terrible. I'm, I'm not going back to the classroom, especially now. Like the fact that we're opening schools up in the middle of a pandemic, that's fucking, I get so heated about that. Yeah. That doesn't make sense at all. That's crazy to me. That's crazy to me, but let's not get too far into that. Yeah. Thing. And the, the good thing is you tried it, right? Tried and most it. people knock on it before they try it. You, you gotta go through some shit to have a story worth telling. Yeah, I, I, the one thing that I learned in my twenties so far is that mistakes are data points in your life. That is so wise. And that makes it so much easier to make one. Although, try not to make one, but when you do, it's not the end of the world. It's like you're collecting evidence, you know, yeah. collecting data points, and you you know where what to do and what not to do yeah. which is equally as important exactly that, that's very very wise yeah that's very wise insane this is such a good conversation <laughs> i like this i love this it's yeah i i forgot the high that i get like obviously i let me tell you there is this unspeakable high when i do these episodes um but I forgot the high that that I feel when it comes to doing spontaneous things, and uh, I need to Living do this. In the moment. Right, like what? Okay, what was the most spontaneous thing that you've ever done? When I was in college, <laughs> I had a crush on this guy, and and he was like six five, so he was huge, right? And I was like, that's still my huge. Heart. But um, anyway, so so we he also had a thing for me. We ended up going out, mm. but he asked me out at the last class of the day, which ended, I think, at like eight, seven o'clock at night. So he asked me okay. out that day and I was like, yeah, right now. He's like, maybe right now. And I'm like, yeah, let's go to, let's go to Manhattan. Let's go mm -hmm. to, New you know, cause we went to school in Long Island. So we're like, yeah, let's go to Manhattan. He's like, right now? I'm like, yeah, right now. And we, we just did. We went on this well, like, wonderful a... date. 
And huh. but we were out like literally all night long. You know, I'm like a 24 hour diner at this adorable little bakery in the Lower East Side that was open till like midnight. And we went on a date and walking through like Washington Square Park and just walking really all sweet. over the Lower East Side at fucking, you know, the darkest hours of the night. And we stayed out until like 5 a.m. And the, the relationship didn't work out. That was like our first and only date. But that was mm-hmm. still like one of the best dates I've ever had in my life just because of how spontaneous it was that we're like, yeah, fuck it. Let, let, let it, Yeah, let's just. I know it's 10 o'clock at night, but let's go get some brownies from this little tiny place up here. Oh, we're hungry. It's 1 a.m. That's fine. There's plenty of 24-7 diners around here. Let's just go to a diner at 1 a.m. for a burger. It's great. <laughs> and, and that, when you that's actually nice. do that, that's, that changes you in a way, in a good way. The good, the good thing is you're in Queens, so when this shit blows over, we can actually meet up. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> actually, what time is it right now? I actually have to leave soon because my brother is going to come home uh, really soon. I got to go too. I got to pick up my laundry. This this one okay. <laughs> This is such a good, like, um, in-between chat. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for this. This was, It was also just really nice getting to talk about this. Kind of like it's put it in really like a, a narrative almost, you know? Mm-hmm. So whenever you whenever you upload this, just, just let me know. And I, I, Absolutely. I'm going to download, you know, your previous episodes right now. Oh, that's really sweet. Thank you for the support. All right, uh, yeah. We can totally do this again. We totally should. All right. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. Episode's over. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please leave a four or five star rating on iTunes and a nice comment. It means a lot and it really does help support the podcast. All right. Bye.